Up until this point, we've been talking about recession, maybe recession, slowdown, soft landing, no landing. When you step back and look at the trajectory of the global economy, it's sort of been negative, downturn, but shallow. The trajectory has been relatively shallow, shallow, which has left us with a lot of ambiguity. How do we how do we react and, re, and react to and interpret these economic statistics that they're not good, but they're not horrible either. So we have we have the idea of potentially recession, but we don't have conclusive proof that we're in one yet. And this is not atypical. In fact, this is a some this is a part of the economic cycle that we see repeated throughout history. Not every time, but it, you know, 2008 was a perfect example where we went through 2007, a bit of a slowdown, all this talk about a housing bubble, real estate problems, headwinds galore. But yet, even through the first half of 2008, there wasn't a conclusive thing that you could say, yes, this is definitely a recession. In fact, most policymakers and academics and economists and the media, by the summer of 2008, they were still convinced we were going to miss recession because they missed that shallow trajectory and in, in, in looking at it and analyzing it, they thought, well, if it hasn't gotten worse, then it can't get worse, a form of confirmation bias. Well, I think that we are at a similar point here in the summer, uh, heading into the summer of 2023, where after we've been through this shallow negative trajectory, things are starting to change. And by change, I don't mean the Jay Powell, Christopher Waller, hawkish, uh, more inflation change. I'm more talking about what the Chinese are talking about when they say changing economic landscape, which is off a cliff potentially. Now we've got all sorts of warning signs, ugly economic data that is beginning to line up more and more with the shallow trajectory ending and an inflection point, not into recovery and second half rebound, but instead second half, here's the recession, there is no more argument. Now, Steve, Steven Van Meter, let me ask you a question. I know you follow these things, but I don't know if you saw this one in particular. We got a bunch of PMIs on Friday, Friday, June 23rd, PMI day, S&P Global fed up all their PMIs. They were pretty much ugly except for the services, non-manufacturing PMI. But the day before on Thursday, the Chicago Fed put out its own PMI for non-manufacturing. And the number was, get this, minus 52.2. Minus 52.2, that was down more than 30 points from May. And minus 52.2, according to Chicago Fed's number for services, that's the second lowest in history, only a fraction better than April 2020 when the entire country was, was locked down. Now, obviously, we don't think services are like April 2020, but they're saying that maybe the service sector is in big trouble and it's accelerating to the downside. Jeff, I completely agree that, that, and I'm seeing that here. You know, we talk about the uh, the Steve PMI. I think this is relevant here because as, the, as was we it was Stephen Van Meter Disney Water Park PMI. I forget. I think that's the official name. Yes, but it, it does expand outside the water park because allegedly I do go other places from time to time. Um, but you know, as, as we step back a moment, and we'll, you look at the economy, and everyone's kind of thought, well, there's going to be a recession. And it didn't happen, or at least it hasn't happened. A lot of people like 
much like the, the policymakers and the Fed speakers saying, well, if it hasn't happened, then maybe it's not. And I think some people are kind of like, hey, I was really expecting this and now the market's going up. So perhaps this whole thing is just, just a myth. Maybe the second half we'll see a rebound. And we've kind of looked, as you said, at the preliminary PMI data and we saw the manufacturing sector is just getting annihilated. I mean, it's not like horridly, horridly bad. Maybe next month, hang tight. But as you look to the services sector, we're now seeing a deceleration. And a lot of people don't understand why the services sector is looking so good. It's because of the timing of everything. As you go into the summer, this is a big season for businesses. This is where some of them make all of their money to get through the winter. So, of course, it makes sense. If you're a seasonal business, you're going to staff up. And we saw restaurants, we saw you know hotels, we saw all these services, jobs. And it makes sense that the services PMI should go up. But now boots on the well, maybe flip-flops in the water park is a better way to do this, or in the wave pool. Is Jeff, the traffic at the water park is way, way down. And I'm hearing from my friends that go to the other parks way more often than I do. In fact, actually, I was at the Epcot the other day, and I walked in, and I was like, where is everybody? Now, it was busy. Don't get me wrong. Parks are always busy, but not on a Friday as busy as I expected it to be. The lines weren't that bad. So all of a sudden, I think what we're seeing in the services side is we saw this big staff up in anticipation. They build it and they will come. People aren't coming. And I think that's what we're, we're looking at here. We've got the Chicago PMI for services at one end of the one, one end of the extreme, one extreme at the other end. We've got S&P Global, as you said, Steve, that one says at the very least, services appear to be slowing. And the truth is probably somewhere in the middle where we see services, unlike manufacturing, slowing down and probably contracting, whereas manufacturing, as you as you pointed out, manufacturings are they're, they've already had a rough go of it with the inventory cycles first stage where companies have said we're seeing softening in consumer consumer spending and business spending, too. Let's not forget that. But we've we, you know, up until this point retailers and wholesalers have only made modest adjustments to their inventory flows. They basically said, we've got enough coming in. We don't want any more. So inventories have stopped increasing, but they haven't yet really started to decrease in any meaningful way. And what the numbers we're getting from inventory, uh, inventory statistics, as well as these PMIs, they suggest that the, the inventory cycle is going to kick into the next gear, which again, along with our theme of the show here, which is off a cliff, where we're seeing a changing economic landscape, as the Chinese said, from a shallow, maybe kind of recession to, yes, this is definitely recession period. And so we've got economic data from manufacturers. We've got labor market statistics that suggest that all of those businesses that were hanging in for, as what you just said, Steve, the second half rebound, now they're starting to rethink those things. They're starting to rethink whether or not the economy actually is as resilient as many policymakers seem to believe. And once they are convinced that there will not be a second half rebound or there isn't likely to be a second half rebound, that's it. That's when they're going to start cutting their inventories in a more determined fashion. And of course, they're going to start cutting their workers. So when we look around the economic data that's coming in for the month of June, we're seeing that acceleration to the downside, which suggests we're getting closer and closer to that moment that we've been waiting for, sadly, all of these many months. 
Yeah, you're right, Jeff. And you look at kind of what's impacting the consumer right now, um, higher interest rates. Well, we know the, the Fed's adjustment in terms of what it's supposed to do. But let's talk about what it does to the consumer. Let's say you've got a bunch of credit card debt. Well, your minimum payment's going up. And that means your discretionary spend money is going down. That's going to have a direct effect on the economy. You know, I'm starting to hear more and more people talk about the student loan forbearance and, and they're, then they're stressing out. They're saying, look, my payment's going to be three or 400 a month or boy, my wife and I is going to be 1200 a month. And gee, we don't have it in our budget now. So. A lot of people think, oh, well, that's just a cliff that's going to come in a couple months. No, in the household situation, you have to start building into that because you've got to stop your spending. And this is the worst time because now your kids are out of school for the summer. You want to go on vacation. So maybe we're going to see this kind of push into the first part of summer. And I bet it starts to drop off the cliff fast because people are going to have to cut their budget somewhere. And then you tack on, we just got the latest data on the initial claims for the weekly unemployment data, and now we're at 264. So we keep seeing some signs that there's laughs, which we're going to expect to see more, particularly in the manufacturing side. And a lot of people don't understand, well, why is that such a big deal? Well, those jobs are generally a lot higher paying than somebody who's a waiter or a waitress. So they get lose their job, their spend goes down. The timing of this for kind of the cliff hitting kind of mid late summer, I think is a real high probability. That's always the case though, right, Steve? It's, it's not one thing or another. Usually economies that are operating normally and healthy, they can withstand something like that. They can withstand individual shocks, but it's when they're already in a weak position and then they get hit by one thing and then another and another, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And then eventually all these things combine into one and we go from maybe we're in recession to holy crap, it's a pretty bad one. I think that's what we're talking about here, especially looking ahead. What is there out there that we could point to that says we're going to avoid this is a source of strength. This is going to this is going to boost consumer and business spending. Everybody, everybody's out there saying, well, we just hope it doesn't get worse. That's not us. That's not going to rebound the economy. That's going to not that's not going to generate a recovery. And on top of that, just in terms of sentiment. We've got numerous disappointments that we have to consider too. Remember, Europe. Europe was, okay, we're going to have an electricity crisis, an energy crisis in 2022. Europe survived. That was supposed to lead to rising sentiment, which it did. And rising sentiment was supposed to keep Europe out of recession. But now we're seeing Europe is actually getting worse too. So the European resurrection story, that's falling apart. We obviously know all about the Chinese one. China reopening was supposed to lead to happy times in China and then spill over to the rest of the world. Instead, that's turning into a nightmare. Even the Chinese uh, National Petroleum Corporation said, we don't see it here. We're expecting a lot more oil demand and it's June and we already see about half of what we were expecting in terms of growth. So the Chinese story is falling apart. The European stories are falling apart. And if the U.S. labor market story starts to fall apart on top of all of these future headwinds, you can understand why manufacturers and businesses and service providers would say, let's take a step back here and start reassessing. Let's not let's not order as much stuff as we were. And let's just wait to see if the second rebound, second half rebound has any chance whatsoever. And, you know, Jeff, it's funny you mentioned new orders because I, and I know you read all of the you know, flash PMIs, as did I. And it was kind of funny because. You, you, you can almost just stack them up and say, okay, what words are you going to read repeatedly over and over and over again? 
New orders are down. New orders declining. New orders are the worst in X number of months. New orders are way down. I mean, it was just re like it's just a shotgun of new orders are going down, down, down. But what I want, I think, our listeners to understand is why is the labor market not falling off that cliff yet? And you kind of see it in some of the reports that said, well, some, particularly in Germany, it kind of suggested, well, the manufacturers still hired kind of a few people. And this comes back to the pandemic where a lot of experienced workers just said, hey, you know what? Uh, the market's going up now. I've got some money. I'm going to go ahead and retire. And they did. And so when we reopen, of course, we have to train this whole new workforce. We did that. You build it and they will come. Everyone got ready and nobody, the demand wasn't there. So what you're seeing in the manufacturing sector is just this adverse desire to get rid of these employees they just train. But, you know, Jeff, you, you can't keep them on the payroll indefinitely. At some point, and there's a direct correlation, as new orders go down, you need fewer people. It's only a matter, maybe it could be in the next couple of weeks, probably within the next couple of months. I think we see a big drop in the manufacturing payrolls, and that just will eventually spill over into the services sector. And then the cliff, as you're kind of discussing here, is right in front of us. That cliff has a name, and that name is backlogs, because that's the other thing that I noticed in not just the S&P Global PMIs, but the regional Fed ones about the United States. They have mentioned backlogs repeatedly, as in if when you have no new orders coming in, you're working through all your old orders. And if you have no new orders coming in and you're working through your old orders, eventually you run out of old orders without new orders. You have nothing left to do. And at that, that's the point where you get to the cliff. That's the decision point that both manufacturers and service providers have to work on. They have to say, well, we don't have any new orders coming in and we don't have any old orders left to work through. What are we going to do? Now, they could legitimately say, we're not going to do anything. We're going to cut back some hours on some of our workers, but we're not going to fire them because as we're talking, this is only going to be a short-term downturn. As long as you're convinced that this is only a couple months and you just went through all the expense of hiring workers and training them, getting to do what you want them to do, you might say, well, I'll take the hit to my bottom line. I'll keep my workers in place. And a couple months later, we'll just go right back to normal. It's a nice vacation for a couple of our employees. But as backlogs get worked down and your optimism starts to fade, then you start thinking, well, you know, I don't have any work. I don't have any work coming in. I don't necessarily want to take a hit to my bottom line. And if I look around the world, everything I see points to everything getting worse. I'm not going to take the hit to my bottom line. I'm going to reach that decision point and make a pro-cyclical decision to start laying off workers because that's what we keep hearing, not the layoffs, but the backlog part. Um, S&P Global, made, even S&P Global made a, made a point of pointing out backlogs where they said in Europe in particular, but also the United States, companies have worked through their back, their, their piles of existing work and they don't have new orders coming in. So what next? Right, Jeff. And I'm glad you mentioned hours work, because if you pull up a chart on that, boy, it is dropping, dropping, dropping and getting close to that level where. You know, you, you could see that there's a, there's a bubble of where, you know, workers start to complain. You know, say, Hey, wait a second. I, I'm not getting enough work here. And this is where employers get to the decision point. You don't have any work for them. So you start cutting off your underperformers to keep the ones you want to give them more hours because you need somebody to stay. 
because you don't want too many people to start looking for work and maybe get a job somewhere else. But that we're, I think we're getting so close to that happening. And if all of these preliminary PMI reports that suggest that new orders are as bad as they are and they stay bad, it's just a matter of how long does, like you said, how long does it take to get rid of this backlog? And it shouldn't take a whole lot longer. Well, we have other data too. Let's let's not, let's be clear here. It's not just the PMIs. We actually have hard data that backs up the new orders components of these PMIs. We got we've seen factory orders in Germany, in particular, but all throughout Europe that are down and down big, especially recently. U.S. factory orders are also declining as the inventory cycle hits here. But I also want to talk about one last shock that we should be aware of, and it's the banking sector shock that we all know is going on. Steve, I, I think you'll be shocked to learn that. U.S., uh, especially office towers in the U.S. and Asia and all around the world, these are empty and they're going to be a massive problem for bank banks around the world who hold a lot of debt tied to what are not just not performing assets, they're underwater, under uh, overvalued, not performing assets that we're hearing more and more uh, businesses and uh, property owners who are saying, I'm just going to walk away when it comes time to refinance my debt. I'm not even going to try to refinance because it's just not worth it. And the numbers keep coming in and they keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I know this is something you've talked about repeatedly on this show, especially about office towers. And so we have this other shock, sort of this other shoe waiting to drop, which is the banking system, credit system. We still have no idea just how bad this commercial real estate thing is going to be, but it doesn't look good. No, it's it's the global financial crisis was centered around residential real estate. Jeff, there's no doubt that this coming crisis is going to be the corporate real estate. And as you know, these small, mid-sized banks, I mean, they're, they're literally teetering on the edge. I mean, they're, they're taking more money from the Fed, which they shouldn't be. I mean, if, I'm not saying they shouldn't because it's, it's available to them. I'm saying they shouldn't because it means they're not getting any better. And you're right. The, if, if you start to see these buildings start to foreclose, which I 100% agree is going to happen, it's going to literally wipe out these small, mid-sized banks. I don't know what the Fed's going to do, but... I know it'll involve rates being back at zero. And that is a very, Jeff, if you can believe it, there's a very unpopular opinion, but I'll still stick by it. Yeah, I think that's an unpopular opinion, maybe in mainstream commentary, but you look at the actual marketplace, it seems to be the majority opinion and then some. Because remember, we're, we heard nothing about, uh, all we heard was when the Fed stops buying bonds, rates are going to skyrocket. Well, the Fed stopped a long time ago and rates are going down. We even see this just recently. The, the Treasury market in rebuilding its cash balance has sent a deluge of Treasury bills. And guess what? Prices on Treasury bills have gone up, not down. So there is demand for safe and liquid for something. And I think it has to do, Steve, with this cliff that we're talking about. Yeah, the changing economic landscape. As always, thank you very much, Steve. We're going to have to leave it there. We'll talk again next week. All right. Thanks, Jeff.